Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? know that in times of trouble, the most natural human response is to want that which is causing pain to be removed, or for us to be removed from that which is causing pain. But rarely would we voluntarily choose to stay in the midst of it. And yet, the God of Israel almost always allows us to remain smack in the middle of pain, trouble, and hardship. This concept of being taken out of painful situations speaks specifically to such theological debates as the pre-, mid-, and post-tribulation rapture controversy, which we have talked about in other podcasts. But today we're going to talk about a related topic that we find in the book of Genesis in the story of Joseph. Joseph's story speaks directly to the idea that God does allow his people to suffer, In fact, sometimes through their suffering, his greater plans are moved forward. No story better exemplifies this idea than the story of Yeshua's death on the cross, of course. But today we're going to talk about Joseph and his family and how God was with them and how he provided for them in the midst of worldwide famine. We're going to talk about the safe place that God provided for Joseph's family, Goshen, and what it meant for them and what it means for us today in an increasingly perilous world for those of us who follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We will look back at history and forward to our prophetic future. Is the famine that is described as being over the entire earth back in the days of Joseph a pattern for a future famine over all the earth? Will there be a Goshen for believers? What will that look like based on biblical patterns? Let's talk about Goshen, and let's talk Torah. Long ago, God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, as the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind in the world. If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, read Declaring the End from the Beginning, Our Past and Future Revealed in the Biblical Feasts. In this book, author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel, as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past and how he will fulfill the other three when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the Biblical Feasts. Welcome back, everybody. It is so good to be back. I know I say that each time, but we have had a bit of a hiatus, haven't we, This Gary? time it's been a little bit longer, Kathy. Yeah, it's been a crazy end of year. It's been it? a crazy end of year. Gary and I have both had some major family situations to be dealing with over the last six to eight weeks, I mm-hmm. guess it would be. So um, it's very good to be back doing what we love, studying and talking about God's Word. Yeah. 
you know, sometimes people ask me how we come up with topics. And sometimes uh, something in the news, right, or a mm-hmm. culture that prompts a topic, that happens a lot, particularly for me. Sometimes it's a conversation with a friend or a family member. Lots of times topics are prompted by the books that I read. So and how many times have that. I done that? <laughs> I just read a great book. Yeah. Sometimes we have listeners who ask questions. And many times our topics are prompted by reading and discussing the weekly Torah portion with our Friday night Zoom Torah study group. Mm -hmm. And so we have a group that meets every Friday night and we read through the weekly Torah portion, which many of you know what that is, but that's the the idea that uh, all uh, Jewish people around the world who are inclined to read the Bible, the Torah, Mm -hmm. are reading reading the same section of Mm -hmm. Torah and Mm -hmm. discussing it at the same time on a yearly or annual cycle. And so that's what we do on Friday nights. And we have a good group. We do it via Zoom. We started it during COVID. And uh, it's been going on since then very, very regularly. So this was a topic that came up uh, via that the, uh, that group and that discussion that kind of started me to want to dive a little bit more. You know, we're currently in the Torah portion cycle where we're reading Genesis and particularly the Joseph story. Mm-hmm. And uh, this story has absolutely fascinating metaphors, types, patterns that probably more than almost any other Bible story. I mean, yeah, every year after year when we go through it, it seems that we're, we're pointing out one more uh, foreshadowing or one more right. metaphor or one more uh, pattern that, that we, we peel find it, it. the layers yeah, back a yeah. little bit more. Today, I want to talk about the concept of Goshen. Now, Goshen, as many of you know, is the part of Egypt that Joseph brought his entire family to during the midst of the seven-year famine. Goshen was the Hebrew safe place, their place of refuge in the midst of chaos and fear. So let's start back with a little background. You know, the story of Joseph begins in chapter 37 Mm -hmm. and continues all the way to the end of Genesis. That's a lot of chapters. Yeah, I I think that goes to show you how important this story is. There's a lot dedicated to describing it because it is a beautiful pattern of redemption and, and, uh, you know, a savior uh, for his people. Yes. And so when you, when you look at when the Bible repeats something or puts a lot of emphasis on something, then you know that that's extremely important. Mm -hmm. So we know that in the story, Jacob, uh, had settled in Canaan, no doubt kind of thinking that this was his final stop. He was pretty old. I don't remember how old, but way up there. Yeah, I, I honestly can't remember exactly right. how old he was at that point. But but, the, but, but I think he 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 probably thought, okay, I'm settling down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what he probably wanted. But at the same time, he certainly knew about God's words to his grandfather Abraham that we read about in Genesis 15. And we've talked about those words at the idea when God was cutting that covenant with Abraham and his people. And Gary, if you could just for those who aren't familiar with that story, just read a little bit. What I'm saying here is that although Jacob might have thought, okay, I'm settling in, he did have this in the back of his head. Yeah, I imagine he would have, because obviously this is about the covenant, and that was his responsibility to carry on with this this responsibility. The, the covenant um, was going to pass through him. 
And when we talk about the covenant, we often talk about that fact that, that this was all about, you know, the this unconditional covenant that was going to pass through the people of Israel. And we don't always point out this prophetic message here, which I'm glad we're doing today. So I'll read it, and then we can, we can talk more about it. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorite has not yet reached its full measure." Well, there's a lot there. There's a lot. There. I mean, when, when we look historically and biblically, this was we know that this comes to pass. They go to Egypt. They spend hundreds of years there. I like to call it incubating. They become a great nation. But also look at this, uh, the, how specific God is about how then they will come out. They'll come out with great possessions and that then they're going to go then and be the vessel that God uses to judge the Amorites in the land of Canaan. Right. There's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot. And so so Jacob knew this story. He knew this promise. So I'm sure in back of his head, mm-hmm. you know, he, he kept that back there. And so uh, maybe he wasn't so surprised as things started to pull, to uh, fall out into place, although I am sure he would not have picked the the way that they fell into place. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We, we want to talk about that with Joseph yes, a lot. A this lot. is not the way he would have written his own <laughs> script. I guarantee you that. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, you know, when we read the, uh, the, the story and we read about Joseph, we know that Joseph is the son of Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel, uh, clearly his favorite wife and clearly his favorite son. Um, without going into big, uh, great detail, most of us know the story of Joseph. And I always say the story of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat, um, <laughs> how you can write an entire, uh, a show like that. And, very, I don't even know if the God concept was in there. The story was done, but I don't know if the God concept yeah, I mean, was really in there. All, yeah. But anyway, it was based on this story. Um, so, so Joseph, as a, as a young man, a teenager, has dreams where his uh, apparently his family is bowing down to him. The brothers get upset about this. Uh, they get envious and angry. They end up selling him into slavery, into Egypt. He goes, he ends up in Potiphar's house house in Egypt. Um, And what I want to do is look at specifically what the Bible tells us about these different stages of Joseph's journey to that end. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, We just mentioned Jacob would not have picked this way for this to all play out. Joseph would not have picked this way. No, and in this dream that he has, he sees his family bowing down to him. So in his immaturity, you know, he thinks he gets all excited. Well, yeah. look at me. And, and and unfortunately shares that with this family and his brothers get very jealous and upset with him. But obviously in his mind, he's looking at that end 
saying, wow, I'm, I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be really something. He has a lot of in-betweenness to a go through, A lot of in-between right? that he, again, as we said a moment ago, he would not have written his script to get to that end the way it plays out. And this is the difference between God's plan for our lives and what we think our plans are. That's why we need to let, allow him to guide us one day at a time, one step at a time. Yes. Gary, if you could read a little sure. bit in Genesis about this, because I want us to really pick up on um, the, the words in, in, in this part of Genesis. Okay. All right. Then this is Genesis 39. Genesis 39, starting in verse 2. The mm-hmm. Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted his care to everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything that he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. I love this story um, because it seems so unlikely that this would happen, and and yet it does. But I think the key verse is right there in 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Yeah. Even in the midst of being sold into slavery, he was there with him. Yeah, and this is this is a great lesson right from the start about uh, you know with us when when we get discouraged or thinking that something has gone wrong or life is falling apart, if we are with the Lord, He is with That's us. That's right. And yes. I, you know, I looked up that word with you know, like I, generally I look up words that you would think have more behind them. But when I looked up the word with, um, I found a lot of cool stuff. And my and the favorite was the concept that when God is with someone, he's there to help. Okay. He's not just there. Right. He's there to help. And so it implies that God is sharing the burden. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes he carries us if that's what it takes, but he's sharing the burden with us. So, so this is what happened when he was in uh, uh, Potiphar's house. Now, we know after he was in Potiphar's house, um, Potiphar's wife, of course, accused him of trying to come on to her, right. <laughs> I guess you would say. <laughs> um, and, and, her, and anger and disappointment that he wouldn't. That's exactly right. Him of um, exactly that. So so anyway, so it, we get into a bit of a of a, 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 a struggle here again in Genesis 39. So if you could just read a little bit there, starting at verse 21. Yeah, it's interesting how the ups and downs that occur here. It's major up and down. This is a roller coaster. It is a roller coaster. Genesis 39, 21. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, you know, I, I've just got to stop there for a moment. I always wondered, did did Potiphar have some suspicion? Because why didn't he not just have Joseph killed right here? Or did he have suspicion that about that his wife? Maybe his yeah. wife had done uh, this yeah, before. Maybe, because it <laughs> maybe doesn't describe it, but, yeah, but it, he doesn't have him put to death. That's right. But God was with him, right? Mm-hmm. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. 
He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. It sounds like the same story. Isn't that interesting that they say that, that he paid no attention? In other words, such favor that these guys just said, okay, it's yours. I'm not even going... Almost like God is covering him in that. That's what I was thinking, too. It's almost like he was covering him or he was blinding the eyes of the others by this great favor. They were, maybe it was their, maybe it was their greed. Maybe they were looking good. Potiphar was making a lot of money off of Joseph. So, you know, he's like, okay, whatever. Um, But I find it, the wording is exactly the same, mm-hmm. you know, in this with, with, of course, the key being the Lord was with him. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think through and I'm like, Hmm, that's, that's something interesting just to keep in the back of your head. Joseph was a faithful servant in both of these places. Right. 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 Um, even to his Egyptians masters, he was a faithful servant right where he was. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a test, obviously a big test going on here in Joseph's character. Yes. You know, he knows, he loves God, and he didn't allow these turn of, the turn of events in both cases, his brothers rejecting him, and now this false accusation, and thrown in prison. None of that discouraged him from still serving and loving the Lord. Right, and, and serving his fellow man. He was... Right doing the best with what he had in the situation that right. he was in. And, and so so we see that God is with him. I think what's probably even more critical, though, Gary, is Joseph was with God. And, 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 and how do we know it? We know that when Potiphar's wife seduced him, Joseph responded with, My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? There it is. Right there, you know. Um, So he refused to go to bed with her. She didn't like it. He was holding to Torah. That's not what you do, right? You you don't do that. Obviously, that is the key right there. And it's very clear he even mentions sinning against God. So what what is driving Joseph all of this time is his conviction and love for for God. Right. And I just said something, and I'm going to step this back a minute. I said sinning against Torah. I guess at this stage, Torah hasn't specifically been given, but we do know that um, even according to Romans 1, that they definitely had an understanding of what was right and what was wrong, what was um, clean and what was unclean. Right. Um, God had that specific relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that very special relationship. So they knew, and of course, jo- Jacob would have taught his son Joseph. That yeah, I, I have to totally agree. I think it's a great point to time to point that out, is that yes, we we when we look at the Torah and and of course the uh, the word that gets passed down to us as Christians is law. We think of it as, as something you know um, evil, but it's God's instruction. And so if we think of it, God instructing all the way from Adam 
through the time of Joseph. He's instructing them in that oral law, that oral tradition or oral instruction was passed down. They would have been living according, accordingly. And so what happened when Moses at, at the mountain was basically codifying it That's or right. writing, writing it, it down. down. Right. But they knew. But they knew yes. it. Exactly. You know, Joseph... He didn't even allow, I find this interesting, he didn't allow himself to even be tempted. It says he didn't even, he wasn't even in the room with her. Mm. He didn't play with fire. He didn't say, well, everyone in Egypt is doing this, so I guess it can't hurt me. He didn't mm. say, here's the key, I'm strong enough to be near her, but not let things get out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you kidding, right? <laughs> okay. Um, but eventually he was in the room with her and things did get out of hand, not because of what Joseph did. But so he was trying very, very hard mm -hmm. to to stay separate and, and set apart in this. Um, but we see that in this string of events, God's hand is clearly guiding all of it. At least we see it. Did Joseph see it? I think some. Do you think? I, I, I think where, where Joseph's at, he sees what God has instructed, what he grew up understanding to be right. And so he's walking that out, not maybe understanding fully how his dream is ever going to be fulfilled right. now. I don't think, he, you know, we have retrospect, we have the scripture, we can look at it and say, of course, you know, it, it's going to all work out. No, I think he had he had a, a, a guiding vision, but what was more important was his guiding conviction of what he had been taught as yes. a child and grew up with, knowing what was right and what was wrong. Right, and he just trusted that he would do. He needed to do the right thing. Yes, and and and, and it would work. One somehow work to an end, I guess, that either was to his benefit or to a greater benefit or yeah. whatever. You, you know, know. We, 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 have, we have that promise that, you know, all these things work for good for those who, and this is the key, the key. who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. So if, if you know, he didn't, of course, have that passage to, to lean on, no. but the principle was there. If I continue to be obedient to my heavenly father, the, uh, everything will be fine. Well, even even if I go to my death, because of uh, of my conviction, everything will, everything still be, will fine. be fine. What are the what are the the what did uh, and I, I would want to use their Hebrew names, but everybody knows them as Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego. They 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 said God, our God can deliver us, but even if, if he, he doesn't, doesn't mm. and that's a key, I think here. Joseph knew that he had this dream that might come true, but even if it didn't, he mm. wasn't going to compromise. Mm. Wow. Lots to learn from Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so Joseph used, he he had this special gift from God um, of, well, first he was the dreamer. Okay, he had the dream, but then he was given a, a gift to interpret dreams, okay, from mm -hmm. others. He recognizes and even says, this is of God. Eventually, when he goes to Pharaoh, he goes, it's not me. This is right. God, and he's not afraid to Which say that. Which is another important facet of this. Is he gives all credit and yes. glory to God. Yes, yes. You know, so, so we, he, we see that Joseph, he correctly foretells uh, Pharaoh eventually, okay, so he ends up in the, in the prison, and there's a lot of story in between that we're not going with, but eventually ends up before Pharaoh, interpreting Pharaoh's dream, that there's going to be seven years of great harvest in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. Mm. So the key is here, what should Egypt do? Hmm. And here's where we get, I think, sometimes into some 
um, conversations, maybe disagreements among believers. I know I've been in these conversations before. And there is a one side of the argument says that we don't really need to prepare for bad times because God will take care of us. Don't you trust enough mm. that God is going to take care of us? And Gary, that reminds me of the story, and I think we've even said it before, the guy who fell off the ship in the middle of the ocean, mm. and he prayed for God to save him. And two different, he believes that God answered and would save him. He said two different times someone came up to him in a boat and offered to rescue him, but he said, no, no, God's going to rescue me. Okay, don't, I, he's going to rescue. Right. Of course, he drowns, and it was God had sent those other people to save this man. Right. Okay? So um, I, there's, we have, I believe, responsibilities on this, in this too. God, yes. God can, without our help and without our preparation, reach down and pick us up and save us out of anything. Yes, he can. Doesn't generally do that. Not, not historically or scripturally when we see all these examples of, of those who are told to prepare ahead of time. Mo, uh, Noah. Noah, for Okay, example. Noah, 100-some years, right? Yeah. Okay, he's preparing for something that had never happened before on the earth. I mean, imagine how crazy he looked to everybody, you know, everybody, but he's, but he, he did what God told him to do. Mm -hmm. So he was definitely preparing. I've always found the verse in Amos 3, 7, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. I find that to be really interesting. Obviously, we don't get all the details in our individual lives specifically. Okay. Right. But we get a lot in the Bible of what God's greater plan is. Yeah, and I think that's the key is looking at the bigger picture and, and finding, you know, we're told not to worry about the future. And we know that. Yeshua tells us not to worry. But maybe part of the reason why we don't have to worry is because we're prepared. Because of this passage right here, he's revealing these things to us. We are not going to be caught off guard. I mean, you know, you think about people, I, I remember... For example, I just thought of this 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 minute. I remember in in uh, when the twin towers were attacked, that took so many people by surprise. What in the world happened here? I remember being working at a, at, at Dictaphone Corporation at the time, and people saying, "Who are these people? What is going on?" And I knew the answer. Right. I knew that the, this Islamic terrorist had been planning these things for a long time and that this is exactly what they told us they were going to do. But much of the world, much of this country had no clue right. why we were attacked on that day. That's right. It's the same thing. We are, pre we are prepared for these things to come because we're, we see the scripture uh, that tells us, the, uh, you know, Yeshua predicts what the, the latter days are going to look like, much like the days of Noah, much like the days of Lot. We know these things are coming. It won't catch us off guard. It won't. No, not if we uh, we read and understand uh, those particular passages. I, I sometimes say, I don't think I can make it through another uh, day reading another newspaper story or anything if I didn't know what the end was going yes, to be. You yes. know, that's extremely comforting to me. I know there's a lot of hard stuff between now and then. Yeah. But but knowing that end is so comforting and knowing God's plan and seeing what he's doing with the, like the restoration of Israel and the return of the people right. and focusing our uh, focusing there. 
focusing on what God is accomplishing right. and what he's doing and we we know that these things must happen but we can we he, he's not wringing his hands oh, on the no. throne saying exactly. oh it's out of control in fact we're told you know in the gospel of John verse 16 verse 33 says in this world you will have tribulation but be a good cheer i've overcome the world so we know you know we know the messiah has overcome the results of sin and, and you talked about God was with Joseph. Well, we're, we must, must be in the Messiah to be in that place. Yes. Because First Peter 1.4 says, we must be partakers in his divine nature in order to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Amen. When, when our eyes are on the things of the world, and that's what we want, and we're not in the Messiah, we're not partaking in his divine nature. And that's what's going to keep us. That's what's going to keep us. I find, what was that verse again? That was um, 1 Peter 1, 4. Right. And then 1 Peter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which try you and what you go through as something strange thing has happened to you. It's not a strange thing. These things are going to happen. So we're not caught off guard. We know that the world is what, what the world is all about, but we also have the promise of God. And we know how the story ends. Oh, yes, yes. Amen. Amen. You know, in the Genesis, in Genesis 45, we see, uh, gosh, it's one of my favorite um, parts of this story. And that's when Joseph makes himself known to his brothers. Okay, there's entire podcast can be just on that. And I, I'm really thinking we should do that, but, but, but not today. So, you know, he tells them to come close to him. He says, I'm your brother. He says, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you Amazing. for two years. Now there's been famine in the land and for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on earth and save your life lives by a great deliverance so then it was not you who sent me here but god that is so powerful that that just reminds me of of you know the song everybody loves from prince of egypt through heaven's eyes yes. if you if you viewing this through god's eyes through heaven's eyes or looking at the bigger picture of the plan then you're not you're not weighted down with this guilt or this 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 um this distress over the fact that I, I'm stuck in this place and you you're the ones that put me here. No, 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 no. God had bigger plans. It's okay. You know, yes. and he he recognized that. I, I think this is just a really key um thing for us to maybe it is a paradigm shift, I don't know, for some, um, to see it in whatever your situations you're going through right now is um, you know, God's got bigger plans for you. Now Obviously, we bring on a lot of our own troubles, okay? Um, probably most. We, you know, probably <laughs> most. And and I think that's kind of a separate thing. I yeah. think we then we have to look at ourselves and saying, what are we bringing on that's by us? But let's say we got that all cleaned up, and none of us have it all cleaned up. But let's just say we got most of that cleaned up. There's still going to be trouble. Right. And, right. There, and it's not... Oh, I'm a believer following God. I'm not going to have a trouble. It's, oh, I'm a believer following God. I am 
going to have tribulation. And I'm glad you said that. There's such a danger in that message, that uh, prosperity gospel, that message out there that if you if you belong to God, that nothing ever goes wrong, that you have this great divine favor that wa- that wipes away all your trouble, that you get all the all the perks of living in this world. That is that is so false. So and it's false. So dangerous. And, and if someone believes it and then goes through trouble, exactly. then then those are the ones who will fall away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because they've been lied to. They've been lied to, and then yeah. when they realize, and willing to accept to, the lie, whatever yeah, the case may yeah. be. Yeah. But when they realize they've been lied to, they look. They'll, they'll blame. They'll blame God, not the messenger. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. You know. So in this brings us to this concept of Goshen, which is where I wanted to yeah, sure. to go from the very beginning in Genesis forty six. So interesting thing works through here. Uh, Genesis 46, 33 says, when Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what's your occupation? You should answer. This is Joseph. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Joseph saying to his father, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on just as our father did. Then you would be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Okay, that's a really interesting twist <laughs> there, right? Um, God prepared that from years ago. They were shepherds, right? The mm-hmm. Egyptians hate the shepherds. I, I, I just how God makes all of these pieces work. It is, it is beautiful. It's isn't it? beautiful. Yeah, you know. So they get to Goshen, and we read that Goshen is the best of the land of Egypt. It's described as the fat of the land. So here's God working in all of his majesty. First, we have a Pharaoh who's extremely grateful to Joseph for saving Egypt and basically making him rich, right? Of course, okay, yeah. rich and more powerful. Save the kingdom. Exactly. Then we have the Egyptians detested the shepherds, mm-hmm. okay? Any shepherds, not just specifically Joseph's family, right. but shepherds in general. So the only way to accommodate Joseph's family to say thank you to Joseph's family was to set them apart from the rest of society. And he, Joseph understood that, and Pharaoh understands that. So they have flocks. They need good land. He gives them this best land. It's so beautiful. It's just like every piece fitting together perfectly, you know. And then you look at the, again, the global purpose of this. And I used the word incubate earlier. How is how is this family of Jacob's who becomes Israel? How's it going to become a great nation? Well, here we go. If they if they had stayed in the land of Canaan, they probably would have scattered all around. They would have been assimilating within the pagan culture. Right. But no, God keeps them all together, puts them where they're they're not intermarrying with the pagan cultures and and all that, and they grow into this great nation. In, in this place where it, you know, they could come out as a nation versus growing and scattering all over the, pl- uh, the Middle East. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say? Yeah. You know, he manages, God manages to set them apart. We know the Hebrew word for set apart is the, the English word holy, right. but it means to be set apart. But he sets them apart right in the midst of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Who thinks of these things besides God, right? <laughs> um, hiding them right in plain sight. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. 
So he doesn't have to pull them out of Egypt. Um, same way he didn't have to take Moses out of Egypt, but create a safe place for him, literally right in the belly of the beast, so to speak. Moses grows up in Pharaoh's palace. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And is nurtured and grows and, and, and learns and all of this right in the belly of the beast. Greatest story ever told, Greatest, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like, um, so, like, if you were trying to write these plot lines, oh, yeah. you would say, oh, this just couldn't, couldn't happen. happen. This, exactly. Yeah. So God provides a way for Moses and the Hebrews to live in and prosper right in the midst of Egypt. But they're not part of Egypt, right. okay? they just in the midst. So even Moses realized as he grew up that he wasn't part of Egypt, that he was just in the midst, but he was set apart from Egypt. He, he, he gets that, okay? Yeah. And realizes later after he kills that Egyptian, you know, he knows he's not really one of he's them. He's not one of them, yeah. He, he has, obviously has his feelings toward his people in this, at that point, or he wouldn't have been so, reacted so emotionally. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, so God provides a way for the people to be in the midst of Egypt, but to remain set apart from Egypt. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really fascinating thing to kind of bring forward and look at in our lives. Um, how does God provide ways for us to stay set apart? It's what we're talking about it's, every day. It's this the name of this program, Torah. Yeah, Torah. Torah Talk. Exactly. It, it, it's his instruction for a people to be set apart. I mean, it, when, when he pulled them out of Egypt and, and gathered them at the mountain, we have the first... He, he took all the guesswork out now of what it means to be a child of God. Right. He a set-apart child of God. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and so we have that. That's our way of being set apart in the midst of the nations, in the midst of Egypt. And it says, um, you know, in our Newer Testament, we're, we're a strange and peculiar people. Mm. We are to look different. We are to look strange and peculiar. And, and quite honestly, that's happening more and more every day as we hold to our, our God biblical principles, the rest of the world thinks not only is that strange and peculiar, they think that's dangerous. Oh, yeah. A threat. Yeah, yeah we're a threat to the you know, to the globalists and to those who want to just live uh, every man right in his own mind. Exactly, exactly. But we're, we're, we're instructed, and I love what, what how Paul puts it, because I love the context of how Paul puts it, because you mentioned we're in the nations. We, as far as we know, Gentiles, I mean, some of us may have some, you know, and some of you out there may have Hebraic roots, mm -hmm. literally, I mean, literally, you know, Jewish, right. Jewish roots. Um, but if, but this message was always to be to the nations as well. God brought, he needed a man and a people to bring salvation to the world. And that was the mystery that, that many of the disciples initially didn't understand, that this was not just for Israel, this was for the world. And so when Paul begins to address that in Romans chapter 11, he's talking to a predominantly Gentile congregation now in Rome. He's saying, look, you know, you're grafted into them. So don't get haughty, don't get boastful. Mm -hmm. That's the context of these words, Kathy, that most of the Christian world takes out of context. Because in chapter 12, and there were no chapter divisions, obviously, That's when this right. letter was written, Paul says, I beseech you, that, uh, therefore, brethren, 
And you know me, I, I love to say, if you see a therefore, you need to know what it's there for. And what, what Paul is talking about is therefore, after all I just shared with you about being grafted into the olive tree, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable perfect will of God. Well, what's the perfect will of God? That we keep the Torah. That's right. And if we're grafted into Israel, we understand that that applies to us as well. And then I want to read one more Mm. in 2 Corinthians 6, Mm. verse 14 through 18. It talks, you know, we we know we're not supposed to be unequally yoked with the world. That's what verse 14 says. But let me let me start with verse 16. It says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God said, I dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be your a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. I mean, we are his sons and daughters. And then chapter 7 starts with a therefore again. <laughs> therefore, since we're his sons and daughters, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in fear of God. So we are instructed to set ourselves apart from the world. He is our father. We're his sons and daughters. And we need to represent him by being different, by being set apart, not by conforming to the world. Uh, Too much of the church looks like the world. And the Torah instruction keeps us separate and apart from the world. Yes, I think that's the problem when we get to even seeker-friendly churches is they, the reason that sometimes they're able to get so many people as they look like the rest of the world. So that looks attractive, you know, Mm -hmm. and bringing them in. And I'm not saying that can't work in any case or anything like that, but everything in the Bible is we don't, we're not supposed to look like the world. Exactly. And, and so the answer is when the world doesn't like us, it's not to become more like the world. That's it. I think the tendency is it's that appeasement. It's just like, well, well, you know, we can we can allow this or that or the other thing. It's compromised. It's diluting the word of God. And what what that does is makes you more like the world. Right. And it's also a way of saying, God, I don't trust that by being obedient, doing what you said, that this is all going to work out. Okay, I, I just don't trust it. And I'm not saying, you know. Not everybody's going to be saved. Not everybody's going to follow, you know, the God of Israel. I know that. But we've got to be able to trust that when we are obedient and leaving this, leading a set-apart life, Gary, we've seen it. It is attractive to those that God is calling. Yeah, it's to, very to those attractive. who want something different. Yes, exactly. It, it, it's not a turnoff to everybody. It right. is to some. But to, to those who God's planted a seed in their hearts— it's a turn on. It they, is. They want to see something different. different. They want to see. They want to see what's. They, they want what you have. 
they're they're like I'm I'm disillusioned with the world. I'm disillusioned with why the when the church looks just like the world. So what's so different about you, Kathy? Why exactly. why do you do this? Exactly. Why do you keep the feast? Why do you keep Sabbath? Why do you do you eat biblical kosher? What why do you do that? That's right. And we have both experienced that in mm-hmm. our lives. And mm-hmm. I've seen that a lot with young people. They they do want something different. That's why they're not going to church in the numbers that they did before right. is because they're looking for that something different as the church has become more like the world. Yes. And the Jewish people have been, you know, hated and persecuted throughout time because they have been a peculiar people. And we as as believers who have been grafted into them, we better start we may need to look more like it. And I'm not talking about Rabbinic Judaism here. Exactly. I'm talking about keeping the Torah so that we do not compromise uh, when it comes to these social issues that are in our face every day. Every day. You know, so if we talk a little bit more about Goshen, the word itself, it it has uncertain origins. Um, Some people say it's related to the word for rain or shower, Thus, Goshen is described as the fat of the land. And we also know that in the Bible, rain is seen as a blessing. You know, you got to remember Israel was an agricultural society. Mm. So appropriate amounts of rain at appropriate times were extremely important, right. right? And and even, in fact, in Deuteronomy 11, it says, and it shall be that if you, I love this, if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord and to serve him with all your heart and soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain that mm-hmm. you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. So right here we see obedience is associated with the blessing of rain. Amen. And I love that. We also know, too, as um, <clears throat> that the Holy Spirit is associated with this concept of rain and this pouring out of the spirit that we saw at Shavuot first, yeah. right? Okay, right. so that idea of pouring out. Uh, we also see it in Joel 2, where he talks about he's going to uh, pour out his spirit on people. This is in a future time. He'll also pour out his spirit, and young men will see visions and um, so forth. So this idea is um, of Holy Spirit being associated with the concept of rain. So um, being associated with the concept of obedience all kind of tied together. Sure. You know? Well, well, just quickly, we've talked about this before. Had not the the men of Israel been obedient to be in Jerusalem for Shavuot, they would not have received his spirit. Exactly. So obedience exactly and blessing, yes, go tied hand in together. hand. Yeah. Um, some define Goshen as drawing near. So then the key would be, okay, drawing near to what? To whom? Obvious, the answer mm-hmm. is to God, uh, to our Heavenly Father, to uh, to our Savior, Yeshua. Mm-hmm. That's, that's who we're drawing near to. We're drawing near to Him, to His words, to His Torah. Now, we are reading about, in this story, a great famine, okay? So we want to see if this is a story of patterns, like I said it was at the beginning, right? Is there a is famine a pattern, mm. and and it and it does seem to be okay. Um, now in Genesis forty seven, the Joseph story, we see now there was no food in all the earth. But Gary, if you would read Revelation six, this is verse five and six, mm-hmm. we read about a future famine. 
Yes, Revelation 6, 5 and 6 says, When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wage, and six pounds of barley for a day's wage, and do not damage the oil and the wine. What we're reading about is hyperinflation caused by food shortages. Wow. And Gary, three or four years ago, this would not have been anything I could really connect to. But already now we are dealing with this every time we go to the grocery store, this this inflation in our because of food um, supply line problems. And and almost every day I hear about decisions being made um, to pay farmers not to to plant um, uh, other countries buying up land in the U.S. Mm-hmm. so that we don't have control over it for our food supply, all sorts of things like that. And I think this is not so far off. This no. is not far off. I don't know if what we're experiencing right now is going to lead to what this particular famine is or we'll get past this hump and get to another one in the future. But, but that's it, what we're talking but about. But it helps you recognize how interdependent the world is oh, and yes. how easily Easy. it can happen. Easy. I think I think that's something that we probably a few years ago would not have recognized. But when we saw the supply chain interruptions this past few, you know, a couple of years and how quickly things run off uh, run out on the shelves, it makes you realize, yes, this could happen. Absolutely. Easily. You know, so the Bible clearly says there is going to be this future famine. But what we have to remember is that Joseph sustained his family in the midst of famine Mm. by being near God and doing what God said to do in order to survive. So we've got this nearness, this Goshen drawing near, and we have this idea of obedience. Um, So he's responding, he's doing, he's preparing. Okay, so we keep reading in the story, and it says, the Egyptians came to him and say, our money has failed. Mm. All right, and at that stage, what they ask is, now, will you buy our land? We'll sell ourselves, (laughs) we'll sell our land, whatever. So what we see is desperate people are willing to give away their property, or you might call it a birthright, for food. Do we know a story like that? Yes, we do. (laughs) We know Esau. He did exactly that, gave up his birthright for for food. Desperate people are willing to become slaves to the government for security. And we have witnessed that in our lifetime. So once again, before uh, uh, three years ago, maybe we would not have fully understood that. And now we really see that. We, we are witnessing. I mean, when it started, again, I mentioned 9-11 a while ago with the Patriot Act. People wanted security, wanted to feel protected. And, and I don't think anybody could have imagined back then how, and some, I think there were some who had, who had were warning, but rights begin to disappear. And, and that was a, that's a slow creep. And then we've seen most recently because of the the pandemic, rights disappearing because of safety. Once again, yeah, safety, safety concerns, and, and 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 people like us, we're told we're you know we're we're crying wolf or we're we're you know mm-hmm. uh, you know the sky is falling kind of people conspiracy or conspiracy theorists. Theorist. Yeah. And yet that slow creep that look what happened with the truckers in Canada mm-hmm. when they protested. 
peacefully protested. They had their they had their money frozen, taken away. I mean, completely. Right. It wasn't. It was just shut down. That would have seemed unthinkable, unthinkable to us. At, yes. at one time, and, and yet. It happened so very, very yes, quickly. So exactly. very quickly. And we see here, there's nothing new under the sun. No, exactly. It's the same exact story. When things get desperate for people, they are willing to give up their freedoms for security. Even George Washington back in mm. 1789 said, until the people of America shall have lost all virtue, until they shall have become totally insensible to the difference between freedom and slavery, until they shall have been reduced to such poverty of spirit as to be willing to sell that preeminent blessing, the birthright of a free man, mm. for a mess of pottage, as is reference to Esau, yeah. in short, until they have been found incapable of governing themselves and ripe for a master. Yes. Boy, he recognized Boy. it. And you talk about his understanding of biblical principle, too. I mean, you know, don't tell me these guys didn't know the word they of God. They knew the word. They knew yeah. the word. So in Genesis 47, 23, Joseph says, today I bought, I bought you and your land for Pharaoh. But we see something interesting. There were two exceptions to the buying of this land. The elite or the priest, mm -hmm. okay, were, had a set aside, so they got to keep their land, right? Interesting. I don't think the elite are going to suffer like the regular people are suffering no. and they have not suffered as not, the regular not, people not have. So that, that, that pattern kind of holds, mm -hmm. but we have the Hebrews. Right. It was, they were not coming and selling their land and themselves to Pharaoh for food. They had been given this uh, fat of the land and were able to take care of themselves. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I just, they were provided for. I see, I find Genesis 47, 21 to be fascinating. Some Bibles say, I, I, I read, I'll read it in the NIV. And Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. New living, as for the people, he made them all slaves from one end of Egypt to the other. However, Gary, when you go back to the original Hebrew, what you find is the most accurate translation from the Hebrew is actually found in the King James or New King James. And this is what it says of that verse. As for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the border of Egypt to the other. You're like, what? Mm. Moved them into the cities? The word cities is not even in the other two versions. Mm, okay. Yeah. But so, and, and the word is a bar. It comes, it's where we get ivrit, okay, Hebrew meaning to cross over, mm -hmm. to move over, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And clearly the word cities is in the Hebrew text. It's there, okay? You can go look it up. So I find it interesting how different the translations are and that the idea of moving people into cities was translated as making them into slaves. Slave. You know, you know who else knows the word of God, don't you? Oh, Satan himself. Yes. And this is this has been the principle that has been used and is still being used today. Is for well, you know, communism. If you get everybody in a collective and put nobody owns anything and mm -hmm. they're all in these little apartments and and get them in crowded into cities and yes. away from the farms. And and it has happened even in our our society in cities, yes. uh, together with the poorest people living in the yes. cities, not owning everything, being in Section Eight housing and being totally dependent. On the, on the government with the uh, idea that okay those people in the outskirts 
are able to take care of themselves. Mm. Okay, so the ones becoming slaves are the ones in the cities, yeah. which is always the poorer. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's no different. So I just find that fascinating that that idea of moving them into cities um, was translated that way. It, it's very interesting. It's fascinating, actually. And you think about how we've uh, most rural areas in the United States have been known as flyover country because the politicians don't care about them. Because you keep them con- contained in these cities and we control them. Then they need all, everything that government's given them. Yes. They, they need the handouts just like the Egyptians needed yeah. the handouts and, and the Hebrews did not. Yeah, this principle, this principle, you know, we, you know, Joseph, this was God caring for his people, but this principle, obviously, it works uh, for evil as well. Oh, and, absolutely. And this, is, this is how it's been done. Absolutely. So... Um, We mentioned it in our podcast about uh, the Great Reset, but uh, the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, has said recently, you will own, by 2023, I thought, 2030, you will own nothing and be glad. Well, that is, and as our founders understood, that private property rights were the key to freedom, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And. But what's interesting, what he picks up on, Schwab picks up on, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it. Yeah, because uh, you, you're, you're surviving. You're surviving yeah. or I don't have the responsibility of no taking responsibility. care of the home. We all know as homeowners that that's a lot of work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about that anymore, yeah. you know? So interesting that he this statement fully picks up on this, but it also ties back into this Genesis story where there's nothing new under the sun. Um, I was reading about this new trend in housing called build to rent neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. entire single family home neighborhoods built for the purpose of renting them out owned by big, big companies Mm -hmm. and investors. Mm -hmm. Right. And you don't own anything there. So, you know, you have some ideas about what you want to do to renovate and all that. Not necessarily going to happen, right? Just like it didn't happen to any of us living in apartments, right? Right. And then what happens when people don't own? They don't have the same pride. Historically, that has been the case. Yes. And and I think it becomes decrepit. And I've I've witnessed it around here. I know people are selling homes for a lot of money because corporations are buying them, not individuals. That's right. That's right. And the people who are selling them are like, wow, this is great. This is great. I made a great profit. No. But guess what? Now that home is is owned by a corporation and it will never be owned by a private owner That's exactly right. Exactly right. And once again, folks, if you want to learn a little more about that, look at our great reset and great restoration podcast because we did talk about that so um so yeah so that's all happening in our real-time lifetime but but we can learn from back there Mm -hmm. that that is like oh no stop don't you know we don't want that to happen that is not a good thing and i would encourage people young people in particular try to buy a home Mm -hmm. Uh, private property is extremely important for freedom so We see that the Israelites settled in Egypt in the land of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. You said incubated. (laughs) Right in the, we see this line, Genesis 47, 27, right in the midst of everything else we've been talking about, the Egyptians selling themselves out. 
We see the Hebrews are fruitful, great, uh, greatly increasing. They are acquiring property. Everybody else is selling their property. That's a great point, and, and they're prospering. And, you know, uh, this kind of thing, though, in, in taken out of context, um, this is what leads to the a lot of the anti-Semitism that, oh, the Jews are trying to take over the world. If you think about it, Kathy, they, you know, they, they, because they had been smart, they, or God led or frugal, you know, all those things, the the accusations still exist today. Well, and that would still be true if, if, if there were a group of people that were doing well in the midst of a worldwide famine. Yeah. There'd be a lot of people not happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Exactly. You know. So what we see, though, is that while the Egyptians, at the exact same time, the Egyptians were selling themselves and their property, the Hebrews were acquiring property, prospering, growing, and living in this set-apart life in Goshen that God provided for them. And and we know, Gary, and we've talked about, there is inherent blessing in living a set-apart life. Amen. Um, that, that just is part of the pattern. Now, there are, and, and we won't have time to look at all of this in detail, there are patterns uh, that we see, this Goshen pattern. Revelation 12 talks about it, and I'm not, I've got it written out here, but we're not going to read the whole thing. But it talks about the woman uh, who's given the two wings of a great eagle so she might fly to the place prepared for her out of the serpent's reach, okay, for a certain time. So we see once again that God's people, God's providing them a place. It says actually prepared for her in the wilderness, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's providing a place for his people out of the hand of the serpent, the dragon, the devil, okay? All right? Uh, So we see that being talked about in Revelation 12. So there's, there's a lot that you could go in there, but let's just suffice it to say that there is this pattern, Mm -hmm. okay, that's there. Um, we see Isaiah 26, um, go my people enter your closet is what some of the Bible say. Some say room and shut the doors, hide yourself for a little while until his wrath has passed by. And as you go on, you see where it's really talking about, this is the day of the Lord where the Lord comes out and, uh, comes as the conquering King. Amen. Right. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of bloodshed, you know, it's a time of great tribulation in the world, but there's this idea of, Go into your closet, mm-hmm. your room, this secret place, so to speak. And as you look at that word, Hader, uh, one of the explanations from this word is it's the room of the bridegroom. Mm. So the safe place is with the bridegroom. Of course. Okay, that's really fascinating. So our, our safety there with our bridegroom, Yeshua is is our safe place being in the messiah in the messiah like you were talking about earlier like paul was saying right so you know the story of joseph is just full of prophetic patterns and i think i do want to talk about more of them in other podcasts there's There's never enough time yeah exactly (laughs) exactly but what if we look at this idea of goshen let's just kind of conclude here a little bit and and what can what have we learned God doesn't remove his people from trying circumstances, but he does provide a place of protection or refuge for them as a whole. Um, so they will not be wiped out. So I'm not making a promise that everybody is going to live through times of tribulation, right. specifically and individually. I'm not saying that, but as a whole, God provides this place for his people. This place of refuge, this Goshen is only for those who draw near to him, 
So we must practice drawing near, learning to listen, learning to recognize his voice and hear it. And Gary, we've said many, many times that word hear, Shema. Shema. Hear and do. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Hear and do. So how do we recognize it? Through a constant relationship with him in prayer, reading, and doing his word. Obedience. Obedience, Obedience is the is key. key. Absolutely. Absolutely key to this, this safe place, refuge idea. If we draw near to him, he will sustain us during famine, just as Joseph sustained his family. Uh, his family. I'm not saying we won't suffer, that we'll not be persecuted. The Bible clearly says that we as God's people will be pursued by the dragon, but we will not be overcome. We shall overcome. Mm. So I really want to end with a word of encouragement from the Psalms, a word that reminds us that when we're willing to listen and obey, our Father in heaven will provide a safe place for us. He will show us the way to go. Psalm 32, 7 and 8 says, You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will advise you with my eye upon you. Shalom, everyone. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.